0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I've already told you that we're going to start looking at the area of worship, the spiritual discipline of worship, and I think it's so important that we understand how important worship is in our life. You know, I think we've, over the years, we've come to use that word so lightly that we've lost the true meaning of what worship really is. It's like so many other Christian words in which we, we use, we use them so flippantly that the truth is that even as believers, we don't really consider the value of them. It's kind of like when we talk about testimony or or we talk about um, salvation, and, and we we just have lost the power behind the word. So over the next few weeks, I want to spend a little time just talking about some issues and areas and what God has to say about our worship and what He desires for us when it comes to worship. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 33, and what a strange place to begin talking about worship, but I hope that you'll understand in Exodus chapter 33 and verses 12 through 23, we're going to meet Moses in the cleft of the rock and in that encounter that Moses has with God we're going to learn some things about worship I hope this morning and so if you would let's honor the reading of the word of the Lord and by standing in Exodus chapter 33 verses 12 through 23 Moses is having a conversation with God and how many of us have not had a conversation with God at some point? I hope that we all have. We today call that prayer. But truthfully, what we ought to be saying is that our prayer is simply a conversation with our God. Again, we need to see the focus of the power of the statement. Let's listen to the conversation that is taking place here in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou saith unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, and I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall be with thee, and I will, go, uh, or I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou uh, goeth with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I shall show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. Thou standeth upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passes by, I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Father, as we bow before you in the reading of the word of the Lord, we hear this intimate conversation between you and Moses. Lord, this week it's been my prayer. God, don't let us move from where you already are leading. Don't let us go where you are not. But Lord, help us to see you in a way that we've never seen you before. Help us to experience you in a power and a might in which God himself will show up. Lord, we've seen the hand of the Lord move in the lives of so many over the years. But Lord, we need a fresh experience of God. Lord, we need the pouring out of your Spirit upon us and we need your presence with us. And so Father, I pray again today, Lord, show up where your people have gathered together and show us, if nothing else, the hinder parts that we might see the glory of the Lord pass by. And oh, that we will fall before our face before you, O Lord. And we will give you worship and praise. Now, Father, take the words that you have given to me this week and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom's sake and for the glory of your name's sake and for the upbuilding of thy people's sake. And Lord, let it be your word and not mine, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. I hope that we have all come this morning with a longing for God because we want to be in the presence of Almighty God. What I want you to see this morning and over the next several weeks as we look at this issue of worship I want us to begin to see what worship brings to the table. What I want you to see is that we've always lived in God's omnipresence. However, when we worship, we experience His revealed presence. It is in that presence of God that we long for as we come to worship. Now, let me kind of set the stage by sharing some things that I read this week. George Barna, in surveying thousands of church-going Christians, asked the question, have you experienced God in a worship service? Only one-third of the thousands in which he had spoke to said that they regularly experience God in a church service. William Hendricks wrote a book called Exit Interviews. And in it, it's about why today's generation are leaving the church, why they're walking away from the house of the Lord. He summarized the views of many worship dropouts this way. Perhaps the most common complaint was that worship service was boring. It was not that it just was boring, but these gathered were not interested. They were not worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. And what good is a church service if we are not pointing people to God? It is no more than a social gathering and we can do that at the Lions Club or the Bowling Alley, or, well, we used to. We don't have one anymore. Then I read another one. Sally uh, Morgenthal, writing in, in a book, Worship Evangelism, said this When worship services are not worshipful, people are not meeting God, people not being allowed to participate in a worship relationship with God. It is as if the very essence of worship has been quietly removed. The most significant benefit of worship service is connecting with God. It does not matter how chatty and interesting the celebration or the celebrity interviews are, how creative the drama is, how stunning the music was, how relevant the message is. When personal interaction with God is absent, church loses much of its appeal. Worship is not about what happens on this stage. It's about what happens in the pew. Our job on the stage is simply to point you and help you to come to a place where you can worship. Worship is not collective, it is personal. Now, when we gather together as a collective body of believers and personally are worshiping, then yes, the worship becomes collective. But worship cannot begin here. It must begin out there. One of the greatest needs among the church today is not new programs, not new seminars, not even new Bible studies. What is needed today is a fresh encounter with God. We desperately need a life-changing glimpse of His greatness, His awesomeness, the wonder, the power, the mercy, the goodness, the loving kindness of God. And thinking about that, I couldn't help but to go back to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5, Isaiah gives us a glimpse of that glory. And he begins by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, and I thought about the fact that what Isaiah was saying was a traumatic event took place in his life. Have we not also experienced a traumatic event over the last year, year and a half in our life? Wouldn't it be great in the midst of the most traumatic event of our life that we experience God? In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly and one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the doors were moved by the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke then said I woe is me for I am undone Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like Isaiah, when we experience worship, when we experience the presence of God, when he opens himself up to us, we will recognize our own sinfulness, our own lack and our own need and we will fall before the face of God. And we will exalt the name of our Lord. I'm looking for that kind of worship experience in the house of God, not just once in a while, but every time that we come to worship. So what is it that is going to create that kind of atmosphere? What do we need to know? What do we need to experience? What do we need to understand as God's people how that we can bring about an experience of being in the presence of God? I want to share just a few things with you this morning. First of all, I want to ask a question. In your opinion, what is worship? What do you think worship is? It's a question that when we ask many people, they all have different answers of what worship is. Oh, it's when the, the music people uh, sing such moving songs that they can, can move my spirit. Or it's when the, when the person praying leads us into the throne room of grace and I, I just feel like we're there before the Lord. Or it's when the preacher preaches a message that just moves us. None of those are worship. They're just avenues to worship. Because all of those that I spoke of were things that are done on this side, and worship begins on that side. Worship comes from God's people. So what I want to do, just take a few moments to talk about what worship is. When you mention the word worship, it conjures up all kinds of images in people's mind. But simply stating worship is simply uh, declaring the worth of God. Individually, acknowledging that God is worthy of my time, of my attention, of my heart, of my attitude. The word worship comes from the old English word, which really means worthship. Is God worth your coming out this morning? Is God worth your getting up on Sunday morning to come honor Him? With that definition in mind, we don't worship God for what we get out of it. But we worship God to give God honor that is due Him. Recognizing His worth, His value, His place in His church. His claim upon our lives. For He is the one who died for us. We did not die for Him. He died for us. We had the sin problem. He had the cure. When we come and we come into his presence, we are acknowledging that that what we could not do, he did for us. Worship, therefore, is not a weekly pep rally where we rally the troops so that we can go out and win the next contest. Worship is not a motivational seminar where we make people feel good about themselves. Worship is not the Christian alternative to a Saturday night rock concert or Beethoven symphony. Worship occurs when people encounter the God who loves them, who died for them, who said, I want a relationship with you. Robert Weber, in his book on worship, his book, Worship Old and New, says, It is significantly that worship is a meeting between God and his people. Listen, my friends, worship does does not lead us into an encounter with God. It is the encounter with God. We can't worship until we first meet God. As Josh said earlier, we can't, meet God if we don't know God we must be in his word throughout the week in order for us to come into any way of worship on a Sunday morning But we must first have a relationship with God we must must acknowledge that we are sinful and he is not and that we have accepted him as our savior for if not we cannot worship him the way that he has called us to worship him Worship is the encounter with God. We need to remember that when we come on Sunday morning, we should come with only one agenda on our mind, and that is to meet with God. And as important as it is for us to come with that one agenda on our mind to worship is to meet with God. We must also understand that God comes to meet us on Sunday mornings with one agenda on his mind. And that is to meet with us. We need to understand that God did not just make Sunday a day of the Lord so that we could come and try to seek to find him. He's not playing hide and seek. He's saying, as you're looking for me, I want you to know that before you ever found me, I found you. The area of worship is that when we recognize that God is looking to meet with us and we have come to a collective place called His church in a group of believers who have come for the same reason, then we can worship God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to be in a church building to worship God. You do not. I have worshiped God in all kinds of places and in different venues. But one thing that I know is that my personal private worship is great, but when I come and meet God with God's people in a place where God's people also are seeking to worship God, my worship experience is heightened greatly than when I just personally met with Him. And so that's why God created the church so that we could together worship Him and our worship experience be heightened. If worship is about encountering the presence of God, a simple question then is raised. If God's presence, according to Scripture, is always with us, then what's the deal? Well, that leads me to point number two. Not only what is worship, but what are the realities of God's presence? What are the realities? What does the scripture say about God's presence? There's actually two things that God says in his word about his presence. First of all, God says there's the reality of God's omnipresence. Now, you understand what that means? That means that God is everywhere. That God is is wherever there is a ever, all right? Now, of course, God is always with us. According to Psalms 139, verse 8, the psalmist writes, if I go to the heavens, (laughs) there you are. (laughs) If I make my bed in Shiloh, there you are. This is the reality of God's omnipresence. God's universal presence is a marvelous fact of our life that there is no place that you and I can go in this world or in this universe that God has created where God is not. Now, if you sign up to be the next uh, candidate to be sent to Mars, when you get there, God's already going to be there, okay? There's no place, no place where God is not in his creation. Sometimes, however, we seem to be blind to the fact that God's omnipresence is everywhere. But never for a minute think that God's presence is not with us. God promised Moses in Exodus 33 verse 14 of our text, my presence will go with you. And he promises us today that wherever we go, he is already there. God promises to manifest his presence in a special way when we worship. For in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, we read, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You know, when we read that, it seems to contradict God saying that he's already there. Why does he have to promise that he'll be there if we gather in a group if he goes everywhere and we can't go anywhere, that he is not already there. Now, have I got you thinking? Because that's the idea. See, we want to remember the omnipresence of God, but we need to understand that there is something else besides the omnipresence of God. So why would Jesus promise to be present conditionally when two or three (coughs) are present in his name? If he has already promised to us that he is always going to be there under any circumstance. The only logical explanation that we can get is that there is a second type of presence of God. And so where do we go in Scripture to look to find this second presence of God? Well, one of the best ways is to look through the entirety of Scripture. We don't have time to do that, so I'm going to talk about some Old Testament and then take you to a new testament the second reality that we see about the presence of god is god's revealed presence his revealed presence and i'll explain what that means so that you understand the difference between his omnipresence and his revealed presence this type of presence is often often referred to as the revealed presence of god as an unusual revelation of God's essence in one certain location. As we were praying for the Mackin family, one of the things that we prayed was not only would God do a great and mighty work and that God would show up as we were praying Thursday night here, which he did. We also prayed that God would show up with them where they were. To do a work in them that only God could do. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a revealed presence. When God shows up in an individual place or an individual's life and does a work that only God can do. Maybe you've experienced that in times past. The Old Testament scholars called this kind of uh, experience the the tabernacle presence, and I'll explain why here in just a second. Some also referred to it as God's manifested presence. But the tabernacle experience is found in Exodus chapter 40 in verses 34 and 35, When, when God had told Moses to set up the tabernacle of God at Shiloh where I can assure you and tell you that I have been standing on that very place twice now in my life. And there was something about being there. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. The post holes are still there. The evidence of where the the tabernacle was. The evidence of where the altar of God was. And walking in that room, the tent's gone. All that's left is the bedrock, the, the evidence of something there but the altar, the step up the altar is still there and the closer I got the more I felt the revealed presence of God because God has not left that place even though the tabernacle is not there God was there listen to what Exodus chapter 40 in verses 34 and 35 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Do you see the difference between the omnipresence of God? God's everywhere. But when God shows up in one specific place, his presence is heightened. His His understanding or our understanding of who he is is brought to a new level. And Moses could not enter for God had filled that place and there was no room for man When God's presence was so full. And so it is with corporate worship. God desires to remove our blindfolds, to give us an extraordinary, breathtaking glimpse of His divine radiance, like He did with Moses in verse 23 of Exodus 33. When he said, And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now let's go to the New Testament. And I want you to see that in the New Testament, it is, there's an evidence of the, the omnipresence of God, but also the revealed presence of God. In Luke chapter 5, in verses 17 through 26, and we don't have time to read all of the text, but uh, we're all familiar with the story. It's it's when the four friends wanted to bring their paralytic friend to the Lord, and they got there, and they couldn't find any room to get in, so they had to go to the rooftop, and they had to, to let their friend down through the roof. What I want you to hear is, because we don't have time to look at it all, but... Luke records an example of both the omnipresence of God and the revealed presence of God. You see, Jesus was there. His omnipresence in the midst of the crowd had come to hear him teach. But if you're looking, look at verse 17, and it says that there was a revealed presence that showed up there in the fact that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You see, the difference between the omnipresence of God and Jesus just being there, God being in the room, was the fact that his revealed presence was there in the power to be able to heal the man who his friends had brought. And so when we experience the, the, the revealed presence of God, Luke recognizes something different. Yes, Jesus was present physically. He was with them. But Luke reminds us that there was something else going on as well, something different, something more, something more powerful. Notice a power that Jesus manifests his presence that was evident to those that were in attendance there. God's revealed presence was there as well. And it was God's revealed presence that healed the paralytic man and brought that was brought to Jesus that day. And it was his revealed presence that caused everyone in verse 26 of that passage to make this statement. It's a statement that I think that if we experience God in our worship, we will say something very, very similar as well. And he said that it caused everyone to be astonished And they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. When God shows up outside of His omnipresence in a revealed presence way, we will be in awe of Him. And we will walk away saying, we saw God in an incredible, in a marvelous, in a magnificent way. And we will praise his name. That extra glimpse of God is what we should crave every Sunday morning. We should want it. We need to feel it. We need to sense it. We need to experience it. We need to taste it. And we need to touch it. And when we do, like the paralytic we will forever be changed. We should ask for it because he wants to give it. But we should begin asking for it before we come. We should be preparing our hearts for Sunday morning instead of waiting until we get here and trying to get it together. We should ask before we come, we should ask Him again when we get here, and we should thank Him when we leave for showing up. The third thing that I want you to see is another question. Boy, I'm filled with questions today. Because I don't have the answers, but God does. What is needed to experience worship? What does the church need? What does each of us as individuals need to experience worship with God? If we could ask God anything, what would it be? What we ask for says a lot about who we are, where we are, and our spiritual walk with God, of course. Some people are given that opportunity by God. We can look through scripture and see there were several Moses being one of those who was given that opportunity. Moses met with God and had an opportunity to ask him for anything in the universe. Moses did not ask for food or drink. He didn't ask for gold or silver, prestige or riches. Moses simply had a desire for something far deeper, something higher, something beyond himself, something eternal, something spiritual. Moses asked for two things that each and every one of us should be asking God for. First of all, Moses asked God to have a hunger for God. You know, the Bible talks a lot about our hunger after God. Do we hunger after the Lord? Moses asked, Lord, make me hungry for you. Because Moses asked in Exodus thirteen or 33, 13, show me now thy way. Lord, I want to know your way. Now, in reading different translations to see how this verse really rings out, I found the Amplified Bible version worth reading to you this morning. And he says, now therefore I pray you that if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. Now that word and idea know you is a progressively becomes more and more deeply and intimately acquainted with God. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding more strongly and clearly the precepts of God. And then it goes on to say, and that I may find favor in your sight. Moses wasn't interested in God's way because he desired information. Moses wasn't interested just for information's sake. He desired God because it came from a heart of worship. That was simply saying I want to sign up with you for life. God if you're going to use me I'm all in or I'm not in at all. Moses knew that God was calling him to do a great thing. And he knew that he needed to commit wholly to God. And he said, God, I need to know you in a way in which I can make that commitment sure. I want to worship you every time and all the time. I want to walk into eternity with you. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to go with you. And where you go, I want to go. It was his way of saying, I want to become more progressively, more intimately, more acquainted with a living God. He was simply saying that he wanted to experience God every day of his life. Not just once a week or once in a while. He didn't want to just have facts about God. Too many of us have a lot of facts about God, but we have not experienced the presence of God. He didn't want to just talk about a relationship with God. He wanted to experience a relationship with God. Moses' hunger for God. Moses longed for God. Moses realized that nothing else In the world, could compare to an experience with God, and Moses had a passion to be in his presence. So, let me just stop for a moment and ask you personally a few questions. Do you realize that you can experience God's grace without experiencing God's presence? You can have an understanding of who Jesus is. You can have an understanding that he died for the sins of the world and never have an intimate relationship with him. Too many people know of Jesus and think that's enough. But it is not. Without an intimate personal relationship with God, where you have experienced Him and He has experienced you and He has changed you from the inside out, all you do is know about God. And that will never get you into heaven. You do not have the key to the kingdom, you have the key to knowledge. And knowledge will leave you lacking. And God wants us to be reminded that we need Him personally. We need a relationship with Him. You can know all the facts, the figures, the dates, and the times, and still not really know the one who loved you first. What a shame to know God, but yet not to be saved by Him. What a shame. Sadly, people do it all the time. They sit in church services and they hear about God but they never respond to him. We need a hunger. A hunger that starts not on Sunday morning when we get here but a hunger that starts throughout the week that causes us to look forward to getting here on Sunday to worship him. The second thing that Moses asked for was to have an encounter with God. He said, Lord, make me hungry for you, but, but God, I also want to encounter you. And here's what he said in verse 18 I beseech thee, show me thy glory. The Hebrew word for glory is uh, and chadab, which means God's honor renowned majesty weight and visible splendor the word glory here is used in, the, uh, in this setting is closely related to the uh, to presence or face to face moses wanted to behold god face to face he wanted a visible encounter with the living god he was not content with just business as usual He wanted God to show up in his life and he wanted to see God in his life. Again, let me stop for just a moment and ask you some personal questions. Consider these questions carefully. When you come to church, are you tired of business as usual? I am. Are you tired of just going through the motions? but not really feeling anything Are you tired of showing up on Sunday after Sunday for worship service and not having your soul stirred? Leaving the same way that you came in? Don't you have a desire that God would show up and show himself real? And be tangible? in your life? I do. We not only need to hunger for God, but we need to ask God for an encounter with Him. This encounter, this sense of God's supernatural presence transforms our worship from what it typically is as duty Oh, i got to come to worship. That's what the preacher said. That's what he said the Bible said. So i got to come to worship. It's my duty to come on Sunday to worship. What a difference it will be when our worship is no longer duty but devotion. When it's changed from a ritual that we do just because we do to a relationship that we have with God. From just another meeting to a holy gathering of God's people. God's attendance in our lives, and our experience of him. That is the essence of true worship. So I got one more question as we close this morning. What do we need to experience worship from here on out? let me give you five simple things that you can take home. First of all, we need to anticipate God's revealed presence in every worship service. We simply need to expect Him to show up. We need to have a longing for Him that starts not on Sunday morning when we walk through the doors of the church. but that is born on Monday morning and continues to grow until we walk through the doors on Sunday morning. Second, we need to look for God's hand at work in worship. God's going to show up, but he may not show up in the way that we think that he's going to show up. He wants us to be alert He wants us to come awake. He wants us to come looking. Where might God show up? It might be in a testimony. It might be in a song. It might be in a word. It might be in a person. It might be in whatever. Are you looking for God and where he might show up and where he's at work? And then we need to listen or God's voice. There's often too much noise. Christy talked about it this week, that Gina talked about it last week in Sunday school about all the noise of this world. And how that noise, we're all so inundated by noise. Many of us are afraid to turn off the noise because we're afraid of what we might hear time that we shut off the noise of this world and start listening to the still small voice of God let's listen for him number four we need to open ourselves up to new manifestations of God's presence And simply what I mean by that is that we look for God in certain ways and when God shows up in other ways, we begin to question God, what in the world is going on? I've never seen this before. I don't recognize this. I don't understand this. God is not predictable when he shows up in worship. He doesn't come based upon our understanding He shows up and we're supposed to understand him. We're supposed to look for God to show up in new and exciting ways. And when he does, don't be afraid. Be glad that he shows up. And fifthly, be sensitive to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. Remember who's running the service. Not me, not you, and not your watch. As you know, I don't pay any attention to that. It's the Holy Spirit. If we want God to meet us, we've got to stop setting boundaries for God and let him show up. Let him come. And when he does, we will worship him. We will honor him. Now let me share in closing just one more reading that I read this week from A.W. Tozer. Tozer wrote this a long time ago, about how applicable it is. He said, the world is perishing for a lack of knowledge of God And the church is famishing for a want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter into the presence and spiritual experience. To become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. He says this would lift us out of our own pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. We can come Sunday after Sunday doing the same things yet expecting a different result. Or we can start coming with a hunger and an expectation to have an encounter with God. It is up to you, the worshiper, not the worship team. Sorry, we'll talk about that later. We've given them a name that does not belong to them. There is not a worship leader. There is a worshiper. We all come to worship the Lord. It is up to you whether or not you want to experience worship or just sit through a service. God is always ready to meet with you if you and I are ready to meet with him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. And those of you that are online, if you would, just bow before the Lord. I'm going to ask you just to talk with God. Be honest. Did you come this morning expecting to worship God, or did you come this morning just to set through a sermon? Did you come wanting to encounter God? Or did you want somebody else to encounter God and show you their encounter to God? I'm asking you this morning just to take a moment and ask God if you'll show up. Maybe you need to go back to Exodus chapter 33. and, and, And remember a few weeks ago I told you how to pray through Scripture? This would be a great Scripture reference to pray through. Asking God as Moses asked God in his prayer to hide you in the cleft of the rock and that God might pass by you, that you might see him in a way that you've never seen him before. Father, hear your people as they speak to you this morning. And Lord, as I ask, oh God, May you change Sunday morning from what we've made it to what you want it to be. Would you move us out of the way, hide us in the cleft of the rock that you might pass by and we might experience worship? We might experience you. Thank you that there is no place that I can go that you are not already there. But Lord, I need more. I need your revealed presence. I need you to show up in my life. And may we, Lord, learn how to worship you as we study God's word together. Lord, hear us now. Because worship begins with us and you. Not music, not a preacher, but us and you. Meet us individually where we are, oh God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, my Lord. Thank you for worshiping with us online. Thank you for being there. We hope that God was with you this morning because I believe he was here with us. Until we meet again, God bless you. For those of you that are here this morning, I just challenge you.